it up there, and we're going to read it together. And um, let's see what the text is. Now we're in Matthew 7, the final chapter in the Sermon on the Mount. So I want you to read it with me. Already, it sounds serious, doesn't it? All right, so let's read it together. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Then inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Uh-oh. That's talking about H-E-L-L. Okay. Verse 20. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Well, this is a serious text tonight, right? So we're going to talk about false prophets and fake Christians because that's what Jesus just dealt with, false prophets and fake Christians. Y'all do know they're both out there, right? Father, thank you for your word tonight. And we pray you'll bless it. Help us to grow in the word of God and help us, Lord, to mature in our faith with what we look at tonight. Thank you for the good word. This is the word of God. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I know you're not fake. (laughs) All right. Um, Jesus dealt with everything in this Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatest message ever preached. There's no doubt, the greatest sermon ever preached. Now, um, he deals first with a subject that I've dealt with a lot. Because in our day, we are certainly surrounded by false prophets. All over social media. Now, there's real ones, too. But there's a lot of fakes, a lot of phonies uh, that are not bringing the word of God. So Jesus is dealing with something that he predicted we in the last days would face in a big way. Okay? So in the Sermon on the Mount, he's warning about false prophets, which would include false teachers and fake Christians. The, the tares growing right next to the wheat. Okay, and my little thing just came undone. I don't want it to drop on the floor when I'm talking. So I'm just going to put it right in my pocket and move along. There. Now, regarding the false prophets, the Lord repeats this warning many times throughout his ministry. If you read the teachings of Jesus, he, he several times warns the people of his time and the people way down the tunnel of time to our day to watch out for false prophets, false teachers, false Christs. And if you look at Matthew 24, 
Luke 21, Mark 13. The longest prophetic discourse of Jesus' ministry, uh, it's the last day's discourse. He mentions false prophets, teachers, and messiahs repeatedly. It's the only warning he repeats. Every other warning is a one-timer. But with false prophets, Christ, and teachers, he repeats it over and over again, several times. So the message paraphrase puts it this way. Now, this is a paraphrase, but it was every once in a blue moon, I'll use the message because it puts it in a way that it's hard to not get it. So here's what it says. Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot. (laughs) Dripping with practiced sincerity. In other words, they're fakes. Chances are they're out to rip you off some way or the other. Please apply this, church, as I read this. Think, is this happening around me? Have I been approached with something like this? Am I aware of something like this? So listen now, because this is for us today. He says, chances are they're out to rip you off some way or the other. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing. Not what they say. Anybody can say anything. He goes on. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. Do you get that? Does that ever happen? All the time. Okay. So false prophets and false teachers were around in the early church's time. And according to Jesus, they're going to multiply. What we just read is going to multiply in the last days, there's going to be a tsunami of deception and deceptive people. Paul predicted deceivers will go on and grow in deceiving and being deceived. So deceivers grow in deceiving and being deceived. In Matthew 24 alone, Jesus says uh, these words, Matthew 24, 3 to 5. What sign, the, the, the apostles asked him, What sign is going to signal your return in the end of the world? Jesus told them, don't let anybody mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah. And they will what many? How many? Many. Many. They'll deceive many. Literally claiming to be Messiah, they'll deceive many. Then verses 11 and 12, same chapter, a few verses later. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive how many people? many. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. Talking about apostasy. Verses 24 and 25, same chapter. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform, look at this, great signs and wonders, so as to do what? Deceive. If possible, who? Even God's chosen ones, that be you. That be me. So see, Jesus said, I've warned you about this ahead of time. In other words, I've told you, so heads up. You better be ready and you better be alert. Now, let me just give you a simple definition of a false prophet. A false prophet is a person who spreads false teachings or messages while claiming to speak on God's behalf. That's simple. A false prophet spreads false teachings, false messages, claiming to speak for God. 
God spoke to Jeremiah, a real prophet, and he told him this about false prophets. Because you know, Jeremiah's ministry was plagued by false prophets. Judah was infested with false prophets before they were taken captive. And they always stood against the word of Jeremiah, who was the only one bringing the true word of God. But nobody liked it because it was negative. You're going to come under judgment. They're going to carry you off into Babylon. You're going to be judged for your sin. Nobody liked it. They wanted the ear ticklers. So they surrounded themselves with false prophets who lied to them to the day they were taken captive. So here's what God said to Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions, divinations, idolatries, and the delusions of their own mind. That's who was speaking into their life these phony prophets. And because of the phony prophets, Judah never repented because they were being told by the phony prophets that all was well. They weren't going to be taken captive. They were not going to answer for their sin. So they never repented. They never turned to God. They never asked God for mercy. So these fake prophets sort of lullabied them into captivity. Are you with me? And they threw Jeremiah, the real prophet, in prison, in the stocks, in shackles, and they made his life miserable to the place that Jeremiah said, would that I was never born. Why? Because of the false prophets. Now, do you think it's any different today? Are there not false prophets out there? All is well. Everything is good. No judgment, no nothing. Everybody just go on and have a good time, enjoy life, have your best life now. But when real prophets speak, it almost always convicts and brings us to repentance and brings us to get our lives right with God. When real prophets speak, it distinguishes between good and evil, bad and good, right and wrong, so that what pleases God is made crystal clear by the prophet. The primary difference between man, or men like Jeremiah, a true prophet of God, and the false prophets, was their source of information. Where were the false prophets getting it? Well, rather than speak the word of God, the false prophets delivered messages that originated in their own hearts and minds. It's what they were imagining. It's either what they wished were true or what they knew would tickle the ears of the people and put them in favor with the people and probably get them some money from the people. Did not the Bible predict, dear church, that in the last days, um, men will no longer endure sound doctrine, but they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Do the teachers have the itching ears? No, not the teachers. The people heaping the teachers to themselves have the itching ears. We don't want to hear the real word of God. We want you to tickle our ears, appeal to our flesh, tell us good things, play a pleasant song. Don't tell us that there could be trouble on the horizon. And so 
They look for teachers who will tell them what they want to hear, not what God is actually saying. And they are everywhere. They are everywhere. Ear ticklers. Jeremiah 23, 16. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Don't listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. In the next passage, look at how God distances himself from all these false prophets. Look at what God says. I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. They're not from me, but they're running with a false message. They are exporting a false message on Christian TV, Christian radio, Christian bookstores, Christian seminars and conferences, social media on all the platforms, ear ticklers, people speaking out of their own imagination or saying what they know you want to hear because that's how they know they will get your money. They would not dare give you sound doctrine because the, the giving would drop. That's the day we live in, dear church. I mean, this is the day, because I look at the false prophets and teachers, and I see 50,000 followers, 60,000 followers. And I listen to even one of their messages, and I go, are you kidding me? And yet, people don't realize, they go on YouTube, for instance, and every view they get, they make money off it. Are you aware of that? Of that? They get checks from YouTube. Because the more viewers, the more the ads are seen. So they pay you more for the advertising. So I'm not going to go on there and tell you something you don't like. I'm going to go on there and tickle your ears. So that I can get my YouTube payment. Can I be real tonight? Well, come on, Pastor Jeff, that doesn't go on. Oh, it goes on all the time. I mean, they got a gig going on. I didn't send these prophets, yet they run with these messages. I didn't speak to them, but they keep on prophesying. So Jesus warns that in the last days, self-appointed prophets like these uh, will claim to speak messages on behalf of God that come from their own imaginations or even from a demonic source. I've heard some, it was demonic. I got to tell you, I heard, I heard, is that not what the Bible says? First John 4, 1, don't believe every spirit, beloved, but test the spirits, whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Well, does the, ter- does the church as a rule test what they hear? No. If they've got charisma, if they've got a following, if they're tickling my ear, I'm not going to test it. You better test it. Because if you're not careful, if you listen to the wrong kind of voice, it can really open you up to some dark stuff. They're not only responsible for what they say, we're responsible for what we hear. We got eyelids, but we don't have earlids. So the only thing you can do is walk away, don't listen. 
turn it off, shut the door. I don't listen to anybody that I don't know is sound. I do not. I will not. Unless I'm investigating some kind of false teaching. Then I listen, but I pray before I listen. Okay? Now, the Greek word, let's talk about prophecy a little bit, because Jesus warned of false prophecies. The Greek word for prophecy in the New Testament is prophetia, okay? Prophetia. And here's what it means, simply. When you see the word prophet in the New Testament, the gift of communicating and enforcing truth from God. The gift of communicating and enforcing truth from God. Now listen carefully, because here's the word prophet. We, we need to be clear on this. It's either divinely empowered forth-telling. Right now, I'm forth-telling. I'm bringing forth God's word. I'm forth-telling. Okay? Declaring the mind of God on something. I'm declaring the mind of God on the prophets. Okay? But then there's also foretelling, and that's predicting future events. Prophecy, prophetia, can mean either of the two. They're interchangeable. Prophecy can manifest as reproving and admonishing the wicked, which is what the OT prophets did, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. They were always admonishing and reproving the wicked. It can also include comforting the afflicted. I can bring a forth-telling word from God to you or somebody can bring it to me that comforts you or me. It's from God. Or it's revealing things that are hidden by foretelling a future event that hasn't come yet, which the Bible does a quarter of it is prophecy. The gift of prophecy is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12.10. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. Okay? 1 Corinthians 14.1 and then 3 and 4. Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. But one who prophesies, now look at the result of genuine prophecy. One who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. But one who speaks a word of prophecy, forthtelling, is the kind he's talking about here, strengthens the entire church. Okay, so forthtelling from God is going to strengthen, comfort, or encourage you, or convict you. The kind of prophecy Paul is describing here in twelve and fourteen of First Corinthians is the forthtelling kind. It's primarily, please understand this. He's not just he's not talking about foretelling near as much as he's talking about forthtelling. He says, this kind of prophecy, forth-telling, is what you want because it strengthens and encourages and comforts the recipients. So that's what we want. When we meet, I want to hear forth-telling words from God that comfort me and strengthen me and encourage me in the faith. In the book of Acts, where the church was born and uh, in its 
very early stages. Exhortation and encouragement are the more typical kinds of prophecy that you see taking place. You see Agabus, a prophet predicting a coming famine. That's foretelling. But most of what you see happening in Acts is foretelling to the church that encourages, strengthens, and comforts them. Both are prophetia. Both of them. Now, if a person claims to prophesy a future event, it's very easy to tell if it was God. You know how? It comes to pass. Because God don't make no mistakes. And God doesn't say, oops, I missed the timing. No, none of that. Now, unfortunately, uh, prophetic future predictions are everywhere on social media, for example, uh, where self-proclaimed prophets routinely predict future events that don't come to pass. Happens all the time. I've seen tons of them. They just rattle off uh, predictive prophecies, and if you just stay with it and track it to see if it happens, all the time it doesn't happen. Okay? I'm not saying you can't have the real thing. You can. But it's unfortunate that a lot of the faulty stuff is what people are seeing most. They also claim to utter foretelling prophecies uh, in the first person. Thus says the Lord, and they start foretelling as if it's God in the first person talking. Then you realize when you listen, at least I've heard this some, this isn't always the case. But often, when you check what they say against Scripture, it's not biblical what they said. But they're, they're claiming that God in the first person is speaking right through them. But God surely doesn't depart from his own word. All I'm trying to say tonight, we need to put on our discernment caps. Because all of us need to help bring balance to the church of God, okay? Because a lot of this stuff has just run away into all kinds of um, strange teachings and, and false utterances that are not biblical. Now, the thing is, like a lot of the social media self-proclaimed prophets, not all of them are false, but there's a bunch. When their future predictions fail to come to pass, here's what happens. They resort to changing the timelines of their prediction because they'll give a prediction, this is going to happen by this time. When it doesn't, they go, oops, and they change the timeline. Right? I could give examples. I hate going back to it, but it happens so much with Trump. He's going to serve a second consecutive term, and he'll be set in by this time. All the social media prophets said it. When it didn't happen, the timeline was moved. We got some saying it's still going to happen. Hello? I don't think so. I mean, we're how long into Biden's term? I mean, come on. Come on. Okay? So, or they somehow spiritualize or allegorize their predictions to prove that in one way or another it still came to pass. 
Now, let me give you an example from a cult, a well-known cult, Jehovah's Witnesses. Charles Taze Russell is the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? He predicted and preached that the second coming of Jesus would take place in 1874. Do you know that? The founder of Jehovah's Witnesses predicted and preached that Jesus was coming back in 1874. Do you know that? Because Charles Hayes Russell lived in the 19th century. So in the 1800s, somewhere in there, he said in 1874, he's coming back. Well, how many of you know that didn't happen? Okay. And, but he went on. He didn't stop there. He also said the start of the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ is going to begin in 1914. That would mean, I don't think it happened. If we're in the millennium, God help me. God help you. Okay, now, when Jesus didn't return in 1874, what does Charles Russell Taze do? Or Charles Taze Russell, what does he do? He says, oops, well, here's what happened. Jesus' invisible presence did come in 1874. Oh, I see. He returned, but we just couldn't see him. What about the verse, every eye shall see him? But that's what he said. So he allegorized the prophecy to somehow try to prove it happened. We were just unaware of it because Jesus was invisible. He also said the rapture was going to happen in 1878. And the end of the world would come in 1914. Well, none of that happened. Now, what do the leaders of Jehovah's Witnesses do with things like this? They hope that you don't check it out. They hope that you don't investigate the history. Mormons, the same thing. Joseph Smith made all kinds of predictions. Never happened. All failed. False prophets on steroids. But... Jehovah's Witnesses, so they just revised the dates and they moved the timeline. Oops, well, no, not 1914, maybe 1924, 34, 44. I remember I was pastoring when that little book came out uh, that, that uh, said um, Jesus, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. Anybody know about that? If you know about that, raise your hand. There's a few of you. Okay, it was so red hot popular. Oh, I mean, this was popular. 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. And all of my people, my congregation, not all of them, but a lot of them had that book and they believed it. And man, when 1988 rolled around, they were selling their businesses. They were doing all kinds of things to get ready for it. And 1988, I remember when the new year rolled around, a lot of them are up at midnight looking Because as soon as it goes to 1988, we're out of here. 1988, great big, nothing burger. (laughs) Do you know what the writer of it did? He wrote another one, changing the date. And he got rich off that book. (laughs) Help me, Jesus. If anybody ever tells you they know when, walk away. Please don't go to dates. I don't care how smart you are. 
how much you study. Don't believe somebody that gives you a date. I'm going to tell you right up front, they're wrong. Oh, they got all these things, Pastor Jeff, they, all the different Bible calendars and all this. I don't care. Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour. Does Jesus know what he's talking about? Okay. We know the season. There are signs for the season, but we don't know. My wish would be I'd be doing just something like this and poof, I'm there. And I was in the middle of preaching the word of God when he came back. And you were in the middle of saying, amen. (laughs) But see, these kinds of false prophecies that Charles Taze Russell involved himself in, Joseph Smith and all the rest, they don't just happen in the cults, dear church. Uh Uh-uh. There's tons of examples of these kinds of false prophesying in today's church and everywhere on social media. I know I'm picking on social media, but really it's a cesspool of false information. All kinds of excuses are offered for the failures of the prophecies. And the false prophets, those that prophesied falsely, really, really rely on the church's short memory and gullible heart. Because the ones that really miss it bad, they'll fly low for a while and then appear right back on the scene. How about an apology for leading a bunch of people astray in a major way? Just throwing that out. Here's the bottom line. If you feel that God has given you a future prediction, Paul writes that we should run it through church leadership. If it's future, if it's predictive, 1 Corinthians 14, 29, let two or three prophets speak, but let the others, church leadership, elders, judge it. Any predictive prophecy should run through the sifter of the discernment of mature believers. Jesus says another way to know false prophets, you know all about this. It's by their fruits. You know them by their fruits, and that means their lifestyle. Their lifestyle. Jesus, we read it. Jesus said a good tree can't bring bad fruit. Bad tree can't bring good fruit. Jesus went into all of that. He says, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down, thrown in the fire. You'll know these false people by what they do. So he's talking about their lifestyle. What's the fruit of their life? Not what they say. Not how charismatic are they. What's the fruit of their life? So what is he telling us to do? I'm going to give the five-letter word. Judge. Oh, he said, don't judge. That's the wrong kind of judgment. But we're to pick fruit. We're to pick fruit. I mean, you do that when you go to the store and you're in the fruit stand. That looks like a good apple and you do all this to it. Or, or the oranges or particularly the avocados. Is it softer, harder? And nobody wants it after you've had your paws all over it. But the thing is, what are we doing? We're testing the fruit. We don't want something bad. If we do that with an avocado, what about our soul? So here's some questions to ask yourself when you're listening to anybody. Are they covetous? Are they money hungry? When you listen to them, is it always and ever more about money? Warning flag. Do they walk in biblical morality? Check it out. Are they living a moral life? A biblically moral life? 
Do they have a good reputation for integrity in the community? Do their teachings line up with the Bible? Do they teach Bible truth or do they come up with, this really matters, new, novel, or unusual interpretations and teachings that the church has never taught? Oh, I got a new revelation. I woke up and there was five angels in my room and gave me a new revelation. No, there's no new truth. All right, lastly, let's deal with the fake Christians and we'll close. Are y'all ready for a little bit more? So please judge prophets and teachers and preach. Judge me. I don't care. Be nice to me. I'm not asking to be criticized, but you ought to know the way I live. You ought to know my walk. Uh, you have a right in the world to know it because I'm speaking into your soul every week. Right? Yeah. I mean, she'll tell you right here I'm not perfect. Go ahead and say it. He's not perfect. But <laughs> I'm not perfect. But I'll tell you I'm sincere. That's all I'll say. Because this isn't about me. But let's talk about true and false disciples real quickly. Not everybody that says to me. These are sobering words. Listen to this. Lord, Lord, we'll enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the ones who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many are going to say to me in that day. How many? Many. Are going to say to me in that day. Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy, cast out demons, do miracles? Then I will tell them, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. Now, the context here is the second coming of Christ, the second advent. When he comes back, he's going to commence with the judgment of the nations. Matthew 25. He's going to have all the nations in front of him, and he's going to judge them by sheep and goats, the saved and the lost, sheep and goats. And there's going to be a portion of people. Now, he's judging out of Jerusalem. He, he lands. He comes down, and his feet set down on the Mount of Olives. And he commences to judge the nations. Now, there's going to be a portion of people facing him who are going to immediately declare their authenticity as believers, but it's fake. They're phony. They cry out, Lord, Lord. So they start out saying all the right things. Lord, Lord. Doesn't it say in the Bible, no man says Jesus is Lord, but by the Spirit? That is what it says. So if you genuinely say with faith, Lord, Lord, it is by the Spirit. But in saying that, Paul is not telling us that lost people can't also say, Lord, Lord, not by the Spirit. So just because they're saying Lord, Lord doesn't mean they're saved. So the bottom line is, He's Lord, but he was never their Lord. That's what's going on here. Then they declare to him all the things they've done in his name. Hey, Lord, Lord, is me. Remember me? I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons in your name. 
I did miracles in your name. Now catch this. Catch this. They're claiming to have operated in what we call the gifts of the Spirit. That's what they're claiming. I cast out demons. That's discernment. I did miracles. That's the gift of the Spirit. And I prophesy. That's the, we've already talked about that tonight. It's a gift of the Spirit. So they're claiming to have operated in the gifts of the Spirit. But they're not real. What we need to catch here is, and this, this hit me today like it never has. They're not referring to their salvation. They're not saying, Lord, back there, uh, when I accepted you, repented, and turned to you by faith, and put my faith in you as my Lord and Savior, that's my claim, the blood. No, they don't do that. No, look at what they're doing. They're, they're, they're using their works as evidence of a true salvation. But they're not referring to what they should. I mean, listen, when I face the Lord, I got one claim to get in. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the, the last thing I'm going to do is, is say, oh, you know, I preached for 40 years and, you know, a lot of people were saved when I preached and, oh, oh, aren't I incredible? Look, at they're pointing to themselves and their own greatness. It has nothing to do with why they should really be saved. Wow, this is so telling. I don't know about you, but man, hey, all of us, when we face him, I'm just going to say, the blood, the blood, the blood. He's my attorney, the blood. Jesus is my attorney, the blood. Because the fact is, nothing else is going to get you in. So Jesus cuts right to the chase, and we're closing with this. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. That's the rub. That's the deal killer. They had never been in personal relationship with the Lord. Never. Well, then what were they doing? I'm going to tell you what they were doing. And I close. There were people, they were fakes and frauds and were using his name to their own advantage. That's what they were doing. Why else would you go out there and come out in Jesus' name or feign doing a miracle or in his name do anything if you don't even really know him? Because you're, you're wanting something. You're exploiting his name. You're after money, honey, money. You're using his name to make money, lots of money. Or to in some way or another take advantage of the unsuspecting. But you're manipulating. You're not sincere, you're not real, you're not genuine, authentic. You're not the real deal. Remember that old commercial, Where's the Beef? Please forgive me this illustration, but it's almost like Jesus will look at them and go, Where's the beef? You don't have the real thing. You've never known me. I want the real thing. I want faith in my name, faith in me. Don't talk to me about your greatness. You're getting in by what I did. 
Amen? I want to take a couple of quick questions. Uh, uh, we're doing great with time. How many of you enjoyed this tonight? This is good stuff, right? Okay, does anybody have a, a Bible question about anything? You got a Bible question, a, a theological question? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so just touching on what you said. So they cast, cast out demons, prophesied, and did miracles. Yep. We know that demons cannot cast out demons. So whose power and authority did they use? Well, they used his name, but I'm going to venture to say that it was not authentic. There's another thing on social media all the time. You'll see these so-called deliverance ministers. To me, immediately, they're exploiting somebody's tragedy if they really are demon-possessed, since when do you film it and put it on YouTube or you're going to get money off it? That's exploiting that person. Um, but all the time, I've watched them, okay? And I've seen so-called deliverances where the more I watch, the more I realize that's not genuine. But they're shouting in Jesus' name. This person is acting like it's coming. They've even followed some of these deliverance ministers and found the same actors, the same people who came forward with a demon in their last stop are there in the next stop. Paid actors. Now, I've seen real deliverances. I've seen it. But my, my answer to that is, I think there's a lot of things that go on all the time that are fraudulent in Jesus' name. Claims are made. But if you check and investigate, you'll find that it wasn't so. So I think, again, they were marketing Jesus' name. Or the people themselves had genuine faith in Jesus. And because of their genuine faith, they do experience a miracle, even though the person ministering is not genuine they have genuine faith and they're really looking up and god answers them i think that's possible as well okay does that help okay anybody else right back there hi pastor josh so my hi. question is on hebrews 6 4 4 where it says for it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened those who have experienced those good things mm -hmm. heaven shared in the holy spirit so what's the difference between a backslider and hebrews 6 4 4 okay a backslider is the prodigal son good example he truly was his father's son but he went to the far country and he went into a season of sin and uh but we notice, first of all, the father never forgot him. The father was, saw him coming from a long ways off. So God was watching for him, or the father was watching for him to return. Of course, the father is God. The prodigal son is you and me, should we go off into sin? The backslider gets caught up in some kind of a sin. They drift from God. They start experiencing increasingly difficult circumstances and dealings of God. Until finally, they're in a place of misery. I've never known a happy backslider. Not ever. They're really sour, miserable, prune-faced people. Because they've departed 
from their fellowship. So I look at it this way. They don't lose their salvation. They break fellowship. Now, the Hebrews 6.4, that's talking about, now you got to remember who that is written to. That's written to Hebrews, Jews, who are being called out of Judaism and into Christianity. They're walking around the periphery. Should I or shouldn't I? Do, I? do I or don't I? They've seen miracles. They've seen God manifest. They've heard the teaching. And you look at Hebrews, the whole thing is written to persuade Jewish people to keep on pressing into Jesus. That's the whole gist of Hebrews, okay? And, I mean, stem to stern. Don't, you've gotten this close, don't go back to Moses now. Don't go back to Moses. The law, the law saves nobody. Uh, you keep coming towards Jesus. So to me, he's addressing people who get yay close, and then they are lured back. Like Galatians, who has bewitched you? Having begun in the spirit, are you now perfected in the flesh? What's he talking about? Having begun in the spirit, and, and he says, was it the ministry of the law that brought to you the Holy Spirit? Or was it the message of faith? The answer is it was the message of faith. Then why are you going back to the law? Why are you going back to good works to save you when it's the message of faith that saves you? Faith in Jesus. So in Hebrews 6, I believe he's talking about men and women, Jewish people who get yay close and they decide I'm going back to Moses. And they apostatize. They walk away from what they really knew was true. And so were they ever truly saved? I don't think so. Here's why I say this. You can't say to a backslider or about a backslider, it is impossible to bring them to repentance. Who's he saying that about? It's not true of a backslider. A backslider, they repent all the time. We have backsliders repent every week, right? So backsliders, so he can't be talking about the backslider. It's impossible to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified themselves afresh, the Son of God, and put him to an open shame? No. So who's he talking about? People that were yea close and walked away. And he said, I'm going back to Moses. It is impossible to bring them back because they got yea close and decided not for me. And they went back under the law and they're going to perish. He says in Romans, in the book of Romans, if you live by the law, you'll perish by the law. You can't be saved by the law. There is no way. You're going to break one of the Ten Commandments virtually every day, right? And, and so I think that's who Hebrews 6, 4, or Hebrews 6 is, is talking about. Because if you, if you extrapolate it to backsliders, they repent. So he's got to be talking about another type of person, apostates, who never were truly saved. Selah. Think about it. Okay? Everybody with me? Boy, y'all are somber. Everybody get that? Everybody get that? If you got that, raise your hand. 
If you're not sure about that, raise your hand. Oh, no, good, nobody. Stand up with me. Amen. And if I'm wrong about that, may God show me. But you've got to deal, context is everything. You've got to get the whole, what came before and what came after it. The whole book, who's he talking to? Everybody glad you came to church tonight? How many of you learned something? Amen? All right, Father, we just thank you for your blessing. Thank you for what you're going to do this week, and thank you for this Sunday. And Lord, that there's going to be more people saved if God is good. And Lord, we just thank you for your blessing on the house of God. May your face shine on us as we go. And Lord, we humbly thank you for the blood of Jesus whereby we have access to God and one day to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.